Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hey, Podsiders. It's Pete. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Um, as is commonly the case, Carlo is here with me. How are you doing, Carlo? I'm doing fine, man. And we are extremely excited to have a brand new set of guests. It's quite a pull for us. We have Chris and Kurt from Parents Just Don't Understand. <laughs> Super excited to make our, our Podside Picnic debut. <laughs> well, before, before uh, to be honest with you, this is a different configuration. Uh, before it was Kurt and Chris, and now it's Chris and mm. Kurt. Well, yes, we're in the proper order now. Yes. <laughs> well. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, well, and we are here to talk about, uh, well, at some point in my life, I'd call him one of my favorite authors. I used to be like an enormous hyperactive fan of the guy. I'm still a fan, but, you know, as you age, that hyperactive energy just sort of fades away. Ian McDonald. Uh, you might know Chaga, you might know uh, Terminal Out on Blue Six, Terminal Cafe, uh, Queen of Morning, Queen of Day, Brazil, River of Gods. Why am I naming books? Carlo, help me out. <laughs> We're going to be talking about his uh, 2005 uh, Hugo-winning novella, The Little Goddess, today. And uh, apparently, uh, we, we were talking a little bit beforehand, and uh, I just by offering this to to Kurt to read, I have laid a deadly curse upon him. <laughs> so we'll see what happened. Yeah, it's it's frustrating um, because it's one of those things where, and this is you know, I I try so hard to resist this tendency um, because it's always it's always a sign of empty nostalgia. Um, but of course I had never read this before. Um, and, and it stood out and I won't say good or bad in stark contrast to many of the more recent things that I have been reading. Mm. <laughs> I won't say good or bad. <laughs> Wise choice. I, uh, we embrace value judgments, but th that's cool. Um, yeah, I, um, uh, it sounds like. Uh, Kurt, is it correct to say that this is the first Ian McDonald you read? I think it is. I may have read something in like a collection that like I, I have a really bad tendency in like reading anthologies. I don't really pay attention to, to the authors. Um, I'll like scan the list and like if I recognize someone, I'm like, oh, OK, cool. Um, but I, I don't really pay that close of attention to to authors in anthologies. So I want to say I probably have read something that Ian McDonald has written in like some anthology or another, but I, I couldn't tell you what it was if so. Okay. How about you, Chris? No, this was this was my very first uh, Ian McDonald, and I was completely blown away by it. Uh, just to get that out there, uh, yeah, it was it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, 
Carlo, we didn't t- talk this out up front, so let's let's let everyone see behind the curtain. I could certainly riff a little bit about the background of Ian McDonald and what he's written and or so on, or we can just go into it and talk about the story, which is the meat of this. What's your preference? Uh, we could do a little bit of both, I guess. Uh, go ahead. I guess you I could would, go ahead. I, can, can I jump in and say I would love to learn a little bit about Ian McDonald because I did zero research for this apart from reading the story. <laughs> um, so I would love to to learn a little bit about about Ian McDonald. Honestly, me too. Okay. Well, um, Ian McDonald, uh, he's uh, he's great. No, sorry. Uh, he's he's <laughs> he's. Uh, I was. He is British. Um, he's spent most of his life in Ireland, uh, well, Belfast, and, um, he has been sort of on the outer rim of the cyberpunk movement. I mean, like he writes about many of the similar things he writes about nanotechnology. He writes about AI. He talks about, you know, bodily transformation and all of those things, but, um, he's a little more poetic than your typical cyberpunk writer. And he has an interest that I would say most cyberpunk writers don't. And I know I'm gross generalization, but like one of the themes you'll see in a lot of, uh, you know, like Richard K. Morgan or William Gibson is that, you know, I'm in Chiba City and and I'm buying this. And Chiba City is a lot like Mexico City and it's a lot like Toronto, like everything blends together. And Ian McDonald is very interested in the impact of technology upon culture. And so a great many of his works take place in a country besides his own. And um, he, he does attempt to grapple with the differences of those cultures and how they, they, they interact with, with technology and change. So that makes a lot of sense to me, and um, I'm glad that I didn't know anything about him going into this because the the point at which it very distinctly became a cyberpunk story was a, a real shock to me, honestly. Like I I kind of saw that it was going in that direction, um, but it was almost like stepping into what you think is a puddle, and it turns out to be like a like you know a water filled manhole. Um, because I was like, oh, okay, there's like a, there's like a thin schmear of, um, you know, like cyberpunk near future speculative fiction on this story. And then it hits a certain point and it's, it's like full Johnny mnemonic neuromancer, like goes, Mm. just, just jumps headfirst into it in a way that, um, is both like organically integrated with the, the the first part of the story, and also again not not knowing anything about Ian McDonald reading this was very surprising, and I was really impressed by that particular transition. Because you're right, I think it it's it goes places or even like really like starts places that, um, as you say, like w- William Gibson or Richard K. Morgan, um, would would probably not find themselves, or at least they wouldn't find themselves with such uh, grace. I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to throw down a book list for people, but I think that sort of defeats the purpose. Like we're coming at it <laughs> for this one story. And I mean, if people like it, I mean, honestly, you can just Google the man. There's very few stories or very few novels that I would say don't read that one. Like they're all mm-hmm. their own treasures. Um, yeah. I, I, I will, I will say Pete that, um, 
just to interject real quick, even yeah. though um, this is just the one novella, uh, this is actually collected um, into the second book that he has sort of titled as India 2047. Uh, the first one is River of Gods, which is a bit more in depth. I honestly, um, thinking back, uh, River of Gods has a very um, sort of cyberpunk structure to it. It's sort of cyberpunk meets uh, Rendezvous with Rama in a certain sense. And he's sort of treading ground that he's already done with Chaga or Evolution sure. Shore um, in, in certain instances, but from a cyberpunk aesthetic. I feel like the Cyberabad Days stories, the collection, it's it's the second one. I guess these are all stories that he spun out from uh, sort of like the initial concept of River of Gods, which is basically a cyberpunk India that's sort of fractured and balkanized into its individual constituent states. Um, and I feel like a lot of the short stories uh, are are possibly a bit stronger than the uh, the main book, River of Gods. Uh, I mean, I haven't really reread River of Gods in ages, but uh, that's that's my impression, at least. Um, I think that's fair. I mean, I think um, he he's he's an ideas guy more than a poet. And I mean, it's just it. It seems to me he's most compelling as a sprint. I like all of his work, but yeah, there's something special about his short stories. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think I first read this in a, I believe this was like the year's best, um, of the late Gardner Dozois. Uh, this would have been like, um, yeah. In any case, it was uh. Or actually, no, um, the very best. No, there was a, a Gardner Dizois collection that I probably picked up where I first read this and probably first read um, similar author, uh, Paolo Bacigalupi, who then uh, not too long after this story came out, um, also published uh, his future Thailand. So I think it was also something that was in the air if you were thinking about uh, how the U.S. generally uh, offshores its technology and then constrains it uh, in the, the the markets that it wants to develop, so to speak. Um, this is sort of of a piece, you know. It, it does feel, uh, and and in the background of this entire story is you know sort of like the shadow of the U.S. just you know sort of deciding, no, no, we're not gonna. You did all this, that's great. We're not gonna. <laughs> We're gonna in, inter, you know, like uh, intervene in, in your in your policies here, and we don't want that. Yeah. Uh, there's I, no reason given. I read this in the collection Cyberabad Days, and I read it um, in India while uh, training people to set up a call center. Wow. wow. So yeah. this was surreal to you then. It, <laughs> so you're the bad was. guy. You're the bad guy <laughs> in the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was hard not to, uh, to take it personally. You, you know, there's a perfect line in the story where it's like a, an American, in, uh, like a, was it an American guy in a suit and an Indian guy in a suit shook hands and then suddenly <laughs> all hell broke loose, you know, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> And it just turns out that that was Pete. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. Um, 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know if reading it there made it better or worse because, like, we, the 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 interest and fascination of going to a country like that on the outside is to try and get an understanding of what's going on and relate to people on their own terms and i mean these things are really important they're long term what matters but short term what matters is um, getting food that you're comfortable with, warmth at night, finding appropriate smells. It is like amazing how quickly when you find yourself in a, in a situation like that, when you're traveling for business, you become like this, this selfish, hyper-Americanized prick who mm. just wants his chicken McNuggets, you know? <laughs> so I'm glad that you mentioned that because um, – and this is this is something I was debating whether to bring up before we got to the story or Dory, and I'll just, I'll just bring it up now. Um, you know, obviously, this is an Irish guy writing pretty um, closely about, you know, his perception or his, his understanding of um, both Nepalese culture and Indian culture and religion – um, it has it's it goes you know to some level of depth about uh, uh, about Hinduism, um, and and I'm not an expert in these subjects, so I'm I'm going to assume uh, that it is handled with with some care, but I'm sure that there are are shortcomings. But what's undeniable as I was reading this, and this this like stood out to me, and it stands out to me now again as you say this, Pete, is there is something really wonderful about being a tourist not in the negative sense of like i'm a tourist i'm here to experience everything but experiencing new things going to new places is a wonderful sensation and so it is there is something fundamentally appealing experiencing visiting or reading about a culture that is not your own and there's also an aspect of it that that almost inherently is orientalizing where it's it's adding this extra layer of allure or mystique or something just just by its its otherness and when you're writing a story like this there's some level of it again if if you're not if it's not your culture there's some level of it i think unavoidably where you are tapping into that orientalist mystique of othering this other culture and making it interesting because it's other and then of course the question is other to whom and it's like well it's other to the the irish author it's other to me the white american reader and and so on and so forth but i think that 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 inclination to want to experience something new and the fascination with something new isn't a negative thing. It's negative when it's expressed through, you know, Orientalist notions, as as I would say it even sometimes is in this story. But I, I think that that inclination is a is is either a neutral or a positive one. Um, and it's something that hit me as I was reading this. I was like, man, like. This is it is cool. It is appealing. Reading old travelogues of you know like European guys visiting the Himalayas. It's extremely Orientalist. It is also kind of cool. And there's something at base level that's cool. And it's just a question of whether you are making the other culture the object or you're allowing it its own agency and existence as something other than the object of your 
your tourist fascination. So that and 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 it sounds to me like like the, you know this is something that that I grapple with when I travel as well, and I, I assume that it's something that you grapple with as well when you're in 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 other cultures as an American. You're like, this is cool. Also, I intensely feel my my Americanness coming through at this moment. Yeah, yeah, and there's a there's there's a Heisenberg problem too. Like just by going and interacting with people and and like trying to interpret what's going on through your own lenses on some level by definition you're not really what getting what's going on because everything has changed because your white ass is in the middle of it. <laughs> and I I mean I don't think that problem is solvable but what he's trying to do here I think is a good impulse like he's he's trying to understand he's trying to extrapolate he's reaching out like these are things people should do it's just mm-hmm. what do you do with that Yeah and and it's tricky too because um I think I even talked a little bit about this on the Neil Gaiman um episode that I did with uh, Connor a a number of months ago, where there was an era in speculative fiction where it it was, it was not just tolerated, but at at least by kind of the, the monoculture celebrated for a white author to write about, you know, write a sci-fi story set in a culture that, that wasn't theirs. And that was something that was right. That was something that was seen as like progressive or expanding horizons. And a few years later, um, you know, I, I would say that the the discourse got a bit more nuanced around it, and and now some of you know now the limitations of that are well known. But you have a lot of fiction that was produced in that time that at the time would have been celebrated as very worldly and progressive, and and now is actually kind of seen as as like more regressive or more problematic than than just you know white guys writing about white culture effectively. And it, and it's kind of it's kind of an intractable problem. Basically, because, you know, things were received very differently as little as, you know, you know, 15 years ago as they are now, as little as like as like eight years ago, for, you know, to be perfectly honest. I, I think McDonald does a good job in the story, though, of not completely um, jettisoning the, those ideas because he does remind you from time to time, like, oh, here was where the Raj was or, um, you know, there's multiple references to the last empire, meaning, you know, obviously the British empire or and then like uh, Carlos said before about um, America coming in as, you know, the new empire, you know, say, for, you know, mm-hmm, here, here. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, uh, meet meet the new empire, same as the old empire. So uh, I, I think he still he does a good job of while he is out of remove. He also does a good job of um, it's maybe not foregrounding it because that's not necessarily the, the, the main point of the story, but it's not it's not uh, absent from the story either. One thing I'd like to say about Ian McDonald uh, is that he he lived in Belfast through the Troubles. Mm. And one of the things he said in interviews and one of the things I, I tend to see in his work is that he very – like the the technological and social change he's so fascinated in is rooted in that, like how mm. it can break bad and how it impacts average people's lives. And – you know, that lens, um, like, I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm terrible at that, but it, it appeals to me. I mean, if, if you're approaching, if you're approaching a culture change and you're sensitive to the idea that, that things can go wrong and it's nobody's fault. I mean, that's, 
that's something we should all think about. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in in this story, which again is the only thing I've 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 read of McDonald's dealing with, you know, the 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 tension of borders and especially shifting borders. There's a lot of people going through checkpoints mm. um, and facing, you know, heavily militarized, uh, you know, foreign police forces, um, and it's it's hard knowing that now to not you know. Uh, to, to not think that there was some of that experience bleeding through into this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do we get into the story or do we want to chat a bit more about this? Uh, I'm raring to talk about the story personally. I, I'm right. inclined to agree. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the only the only thing I did want to say is that just as a preface is the fact that one of the things I really really appreciated about this story is uh, Pete uh, mentioned you know the culture, but not only that, but like how technology new technologies come in and instead of disrupting, end up remixing and sort of recombining other aspects older aspects of culture and they sort of just bubble back up. It's, it's like this weird cycle uh, that, that you'll see the same terms, but now they're used in different, different ways and so on and so forth. But uh, we can get into that a little bit more deeply in, in the discussion about the story itself. You know, I'm glad that you mentioned that because it, it, it made me realize something that I misread. I misread a paragraph or a sentence of, of this, um, story that stood out to me for its prescience. And I'm now realizing that it actually wasn't prescient. It was using a term that was used differently. And I think you said this, this uh, was 2006, um, which was really before cryptocurrency existed in any way. I believe, I believe that um, Satoshi's paper came out in 2007. I'm probably going to, you know, uh, reveal myself as a fool to all of the, the cryptocurrency heads that I'm sure listened to Podside Picnic. Um, but, uh, uh, there's a part where somebody mentions quantum crypto and I was like, oh, wow, this is very forward looking to be talking about cryptocurrency when it came out. But I now realize that in that, at that time, crypto would have meant cryptography, um, and was probably referring to, to quantum encryption and mm. not cryptocurrency. And it's, it's funny that I'm just not realizing that as you're talking about the way that, that the use of words change. <laughs> well, to be honest, I, I, I honestly did not, I, I just looked this up. You're absolutely right. It's the, the white paper was in 2008. Uh, and in 2009, Nakamoto released Bitcoin. So, uh, yes, this is, uh, probably not, uh, cryptocurrency. But unless, yeah, like said. unless, um, Satoshi is, in fact, Ian McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. This is uh, his confession. Well, he, he appropriated uh, Asian culture this bad. <laughs> he assumed a, a, a another, oh, yeah. another I see, man. I see, I, see, I see what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so, uh, Kurt, you want to – you'd mentioned you're raring to go to talk about the story – you want you want to go ahead and give it a, a little synopsis or oh start yeah where you will? sure um sure so I mean the the story basically follows um initially uh, initially a very young girl at, at, you know as she grows into a young woman progressing through kind of a, a series of different stages of her life starting probably most remarkably as effectively she's she's 
tested and accepted as a ritual figure, as an embodiment uh, of a goddess um, in her local culture. And she's kind of expected to undergo this this test that is intended to test her reactions to different stimuli and different kind of shocking things. Like they, you know, they they kill animals in in front of her. There's there's a reference to like you know 32 different signs that are an indicator that she will be the ideal vessel for the goddess. And she winds up living this kind of sheltered, very ritualized life for a time. Um, and and, for, and then she moves into another phase of her life after she effectively ages or not not quite ages, but but, you know, uh, I should say self disqualifies out of this this kind of ritual existence into being in search uh, in search of a husband. Um, and, and then eventually she effectively becomes like an artificial intelligence smuggler, like very Johnny Mnemonic esque. And it follows her through this really incredible harrowing journey of both trying to come to grips with her experience, with who she is as a person, with with kind of her her gifts slash um you know uh handicap or a condition um that is in in some circumstances is a boon in some circumstances is seen as, as a curse and and it's it it touches on a ton of different topics and like i said before just kind of wrapping up the synopsis it it blew me away end to end it was like immediately impressive and uh i loved it and i'm i i i, I could give my own impression but i'd love for other people to talk about their impressions first honestly awesome all right, and Chris, do you do you want to give your your impression? You were this is the first time you read this as well, right? Yeah, first time I read this. First time I've read uh, in McDonald. Um, so my first impression was, you know, like I Kurt said this at the beginning, is just how slowly the science fiction stuff kind of drips into the story because you know there, there's a mention at the very in the very first page about the king's own fighting machines and i was like oh okay well it's definitely a science fiction story but as you go on it's just more about like the culture of her becoming the goddess uh, or, or deemed the goddess and there's a very evocative um image that he creates of the this the white silk uh like walkway they put down for her to walk from the the, mm. the shelter to the the palace and her feet is are bloody from the ritual animal sacrifice they did uh in her selection and i just thought that was really evocative because it, and, and then actually comes back later uh that that the image is brought back later in in a, a later scene um with actual with um not but with human blood, I, I believe it was. But um, yeah, so uh, so the, it was I, it was a nice. I really liked how nicely uh, and slowly the science fiction elements were real were like dripped in. Um, and then when, but once they do come in, like you know, like technological change itself, it, it kind of then starts taking over the story. Where it was like she gets the the um, she calls it a fetus, a fetus looking thing, and it's kind of like a and I, it was kind of like an internet type situation if i was reading that correctly like it, the 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 palmer the the palmer mm -hmm. is it's it's a type of internet is that right yeah pretty much i, I would okay. i would call it like you know sort of like this the usual cyberpunk heads up display type of yeah. uh connection to the internet or whatever you know? so the fetus is because um it it is styled i i think you're supposed to in, interpret it as looking like one of those um, Bluetooth earpieces that kind of wraps mm. around your ear and does kind of have the shape of a fetus with that that kind of like curly Q tail that goes behind your ear. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I think it's effectively that, and and like it's it's effectively a sci-fied up earpiece and smartphone. Effect. Mm-hmm. Although smartphones wouldn't have existed in two thousand six, so I guess it was a Palm Pilot or a or, or, or a BlackBerry. I guess right. it's BlackBerry. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I found it was interesting because like in, in the re, you know she she's a part of this religious um, you know part of the of the life in the, in her Nepalese village, and uh, like she's forbidden for any of this technological information however when she goes out those fighting machines just straight up like decapitate a guy <laughs> like so like they're they're used they're used heavily in the area they're, but like she herself like it's like this fine dividing line between the religious and the 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 profane uh of like you know everyday human use of the, the technology um so I, I thought that was an interesting aspect and i i really liked the um the part of the Johnny mnemonic, the Johnny mnemonic part at the end where she gets, um, they effectively like make her head a hard drive. Um, and there's like this interesting tech uh, discussion about the, the, um, the way they like wove, uh, circuitry into her brain and then, um, you know, put her skull back on and then gave her hormones for a hormone wash for her hair to grow back quick. Um, and so I've always liked stories where there's like, somebody tapping into different things for different abilities. Uh, there's a good comic series called, uh, the five ghosts of somebody or other. I can't remember the full name, but, um, and it's kind of a similar idea where at, so at the end, um, she gets, uh, these, you know, she's, she's smuggling, uh, I think they're effectively AIs, right? Artificial intelligences. Yeah, that seems to be. Yeah. And, and, um, they, uh, she, her contact gets, arrested so she's just kind of stuck with them in her head uh but she's finding that she finds them useful and she starts being able to use them in everyday situations and she decides that that's what she's going to do um and i i just found that to be um i i liked i liked how that that worked and i i think uh it does a good job of uh wrapping it up of like a, a way of giving somebody who was completely inadequately um prepared for the world a, a way to live in it yeah, and there's even references. I'll I'll, I'll mention there's references to um, there's one character, Ashok, uh, who kind of appears as a friend and gradually a- appears, you know, significantly less l- 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 like a friend. Um, who says that you know? So so uh, it's 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 worth mentioning that you know part of the story is effectively that the 32 signs that they're looking for is an indication of either outright or a tendency towards. Uh, schizophrenia um yep. or or other forms of uh dissociative um disorders and the this, this character says specifically that no in in her from the experience that she went through and is going through it is it is an adaptive behavior that allows her to cope with with the experience not just the experience but the the actual function that she has to fulfill first as this kind of um you know, embodiment of a goddess, and then later as literally having, you know, other things in her head. Um, And they specifically make the point that, you know, she's only able to do this because of what is seen as a disorder or a curse by other people, effectively. Yep. Yep. And and I'll I'll point out that uh, as we've been speaking, I I just sort of, I think it, it, sort of sunk in that everyone that she meets who is sort of like a, a, a touchstone to the real world is in one way or another trying to exploit her. Mm. 
So uh, I think when when Kurt mentioned that uh, Ashok or Ashok uh, is is sort of giving her the 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 spiel to smuggle, uh, he's he's oh, pointing out the the, the 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 neurodivergency aspects as like an actual good thing because she's used to caring more than like having more than one personality uh, or, or or consciousness or what have you. Um, perceiving more than one at at, at the same time. And so it's going to be easier for her to do this, but all he wants to do is smuggle the AIs out of uh, the specific um, province that he's in because the U S is, is coming down with what they call the Hamilton acts, uh, (laughs) which is, which is so funny because that is now a hilarious, uh, like very prescient sounding thing. Um, and they're going to ban all AIs that are less than two point something. Uh, they have a scale of how close to more than two point eight. Is more than two point eight. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, anything lower than a certain like a, a near the two point mark is is pretty. It's like animal intelligence uh, equivalent, right? Um, in any case, he's trying to to smuggle these out for his own benefit. Uh, and it turns out that, you know, that doesn't end very well for him, but, uh, you know, uh, when, uh, when she ends up, uh, just basically escaping and, and making a break for it, uh, she is able to actually, th- that's the, the funny thing. Speaking of cycles, she cycles back around to the beginning again, except with a technology that allows her to be a little goddess again. Mm. So I said, oh shit. To myself about about a minute and a half ago and the reason is it it only just occurred to me when, when you said that she, everyone she meets is trying to exploit her um a shock is trying to exploit her from the very instant he meets her i mm. i didn't it didn't occur to me that the reason that he fixates on her um experience as i think it's a kumari i i totally forget what what the term is as as a little goddess as as an embodiment of the goddess is because he's looking for ai couriers to smuggle stuff that's why he's obsessed with it that's why he keeps asking questions for her and and the opportunity doesn't come until apparently months later in the story when he finally is able to recruit her but the whole time that's why he th- that's why he was interested in her. I took it as he was he was interested in her romantically but was bashful. Mm-hmm. But no, mm. no, you're looking back, he fixates on that because he knew it would make her the ideal AI smuggler and he knew that he would need that. So from the very beginning, he is t- he is angling to to take advantage of her. Wow. That's good. That's good. That's really <laughs> good because it doesn't even it, it doesn't even spell it out. It it I, never comes back around and and specifies that oh right. he was trying to do this. It's just like a little it's just like a little landmine for you to step on you know two hours after you finish re- reading it while you're doing a podcast. Well, he, he's like <laughs> grooming her too, right? Because he's like talking to her surreptitiously. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, w- uh, 
against the rules of um, the the like matchmaking place she lives in. Um, and it's interesting that he she doesn't finally agree to to work for Ashok until she tries to well she does get married to the, the Brahmin uh, and that and that falls apart with a rather spectacular reveal of a robe I must say that was surprising uh, <laughs> that was the, that I, I I almost forgot about that part of the story because it's such a it's such an outre uh, uh, thing. it was very strange it was very yeah, odd. Well, well, I'll, my, my I'll, point of those, like, Ashok, though, wasn't able to convince her until she tried to, like, go with a more, well, we'll say, it, like, somewhat real, normal life of being, like, the bride to, you know, a, a, you know, a higher cast uh, a guy. And then, obviously, and it doesn't work out for her. She does, she can't take it. And then, finally, she she finally relents and, and Ashok is able to talk her into doing the, the smuggling. I, I should I should just interject real brief, uh, and I'll let you I'll let you go, uh, Kurt, um, because I did want to point out that one of the reasons that uh, the caste system is sort of broken is precisely because technology allows uh, people to have more male uh, uh, sons, you know, more male offspring, and so there's a a huge huge uh, you know sort of like dearth of brides. So now uh, the the entire culture has been sort of somewhat uh, shaken or disrupted by the fact that, you know, there's so many, there's so few brides available that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, men will marry anyone uh, if they're suitable enough. So, so what I wanted to say about, um, uh, uh, in, in all fairness, uh, about kind of the interlude with, uh, with the the Brahmin, which is essentially the the idea being that, um, you know, very wealthy, powerful people have are able to engineer their their children to live twice as long, um, but age half as quickly. Um, so she effectively gets, and I, do, do they ever give her name in the story? I don't believe they do. I, I was looking for exactly that and I can't see. I don't believe they do. And it's worth mentioning that this is written in first person, um, which, which I like, and it does it very well. Um, but it's, it's worth, it's worth mentioning uh, about the Brahmin is um, they're, they're basically portrayed as these portrayed as these like, like monstrous little, like d- d- demons where they look like 10 year olds. Um, but she's, she's effectively marrying a 20 year old man who looks like a 10 year old boy. Um, and, and reveals that he's like sexually voracious and intends to consummate their marriage with, I, I mean, let's just come right out and say it. It's, it's like a giant, giant strap on like a, like mm-hmm. a giant bejeweled strap on. And if mm-hmm. there is a part of this story that I feel like is like, actually quite orientalizing like like that that stood out to me is it's it's probably that um i i do think that kind of the the depiction of um you know like a a young wealthy debauched you know indian uh male who is like sexually voracious and you know like predacious is is pretty questionable um, and that well, is the one part of the story that really I was reading. And I was like, I feel like if there were something that I were going to criticize or or be like, this should be uh, addressed better. I feel it, it's an interesting sci-fi concept that it goes through. But I I I, I did kind of stumble over that that part of it. To to be fair, I think she mentions that like while he presents as a ten year old, he's actually like mentally effectively a twenty year old. Oh, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, yes. yeah. But so yeah. But I mean, your point still stands. But I, I think it's. Not 
you know, it's it, it, there is that. that um, yeah, that that part is the 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 physical age disparity is handled well in that she is she struggles with it. They never actually, con- you know, they, they never actually consummate their their union. Um, and, and she basically, you know, can't can't deal and runs screaming out of the room. Um, but, but just, just kind of like the, the, the depiction of that as having become kind of like intrinsic to Indian culture, I, I, Mm -hmm. I did find kind of like, like if if I were editing this piece and I were going to, to put up a red flag about one part, it would probably be, be that. So I, 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 that's the one part. And it it wasn't even, it wasn't even the, the, the age gap discourse as it were, Mm. it was, it was actually kind of the depiction of like a sexually predacious, Mm -hmm. you, you know, like. De- debauched individual of like high caste Indian uh, uh, status. So I, I, Kurt Kurt is on the record now as saying that the large bejeweled strap on was not handled well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly not. She ran out of the room. Fair. <laughs> sorry, that was that was really awkward. I'm sorry. Um, I, he, I liked how he she described. Uh, well, he, how McDonald and and the narrator describes him uh, and Untouchables as like the new gods because um, or not the Untouchables I'm sorry the Brahmin uh, because of this genetic engineering like they you know they they've become they're not only were they born into the high class to begin with but with the genetic engineering um, they're now effectively the new gods. Well, I mean, uh, he does mention that the Brahmin uh, because of the sort of alienness of the of the procedure and how they sort of present uh and, and how eerie they they appear to other people have become like their own sort of species of untouchables themselves and i think that that factors into mm-hmm. the the like the deal that her matchmaker makes uh, because mm-hmm. she's been at the what is it, the happy bride uh matchmaking agency for probably i think it's 3 years mm-hmm. so by the time she's there, I think she, I forget if she's, she would be like, I'm, I'm blanking. I'm going to say like between 14 and 16. So, uh, still, still young, but, um, you know, definitely, uh, a problematic age gap, if you will. But, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that she's only offered because she has been there so long. And finally, someone, you know, that is from a, a very wealthy family, but appears as an 11 year old, uh, is, is interested in marrying her. The, the, the depiction of the Brahmin actually, and the way that people reacted to the, the idea really reminded me a lot of, um, the, uh, preborn or the abominations in, uh, Dune, um, was, mm, was actually yeah. what, what that specifically reminded me of where it was like, it's this mm. figure who is very, who is very powerful, um, appears as a child and, and due to this kind of due, due to that, the, the, the clash between kind of what is expected and what, and what is revealed about, about them is kind of treated with like inherent revulsion almost. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right in, in in the sense that that's exactly the the sort of disconnect uh, that that the the imagery versus you know what what is expected uh, is is supposed to evoke as well. So instead of wielding knives, this guy has a big dildo. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know I I have to say the um I I want to talk a bit about the the writing. Um, of this, the actual prose. I was hoping to, you would. Yeah, to me is incredibly good. Um, mm-hmm. and 
Now, there are a couple of stylistic touches that bias me towards it right off the bat. Um, there is a, so, so first of all, uh, it uses a lot of sentence fragments in a very, you know, cyberpunk way like that. When I was reading that, I was like, "Mm, this reminds this it from the, from the jump that did remind me of kind of the style of the cyberpunk writers. That, that that's a very common thing that you see is like the weird fragments used to convey alienation and like disconnection. And obviously that's, that's a pretty common technique, but, but um, there's a, there's all, there's like a, a real commitment to it that you see in a lot of cyberpunk, um, to convey kind of like the, the psychological, you know, disjointment of, of engaging with technology. And I, I'm a big fan of that. It also makes use of a lot of, um, kind of like extended run on sentences to, to kind of, um, like, like grammatically incorrect things that are meant to convey a, a continuity of experience that runs together and bleeds together and becomes confusing. And it actually, it reminds me a bit of, uh, uh, Jack London actually does this Hmm. fairly frequently. Um, Hmm. Kerouac does it all the time. Um, but there's a few specific, um, moments in this that, that did it where, uh, it's, it's, there's a, the moment right where she first receives, um, no, I, I'm sorry. It's she. She. It's where she receives like the final AI package in her head, which is multiple AIs at once, and it says, "I gasped, senses blurred, fused, melted. I saw, heard, felt, smelled, tasted mm-hmm. everything as one undifferentiated sensation, as gods and babies sense, holy and purely." And the saw, heard, felt, smelled, tasted everything is is not like there's no commas there. It's just one word after another. And grammatically speaking, it's just kind of asking you to like hold on for dear life and understand that, you know, the narrator is conveying this as best that she can, but it's trying to convey that that smearing of experience through the prose as well. Um, and I thought it was really, really well written. There were only there was only like one or two sentences where I was like uh, that, that I, I felt like didn't quite land for me. And in a story that has such a like a such a strong stylistic um, experimentation, I think that's a really good track record. So just the prose of this blew me away. Um, And as I alluded to at the beginning, it made me kind of it made me really miss reading prose like this. And I a want to seek out more of it and b. Not, you know, to be totally candid, I want to try and publish because <laughs> it's it, it really I was like, wow, like I've missed reading prose like this. And, and you know, part of that is shame on me. But I, I do think it's also kind of fallen a bit out, out of favor too stylistically. This was a sentence I, I really liked. Um, she's describing the honeymoon that she went on with the Brahmin before the, the whole robe reveal. Uh, but the, the, it says color, motion, noise, chatter, people and people and people, period. Like that's. That's just, it's just so evocative without like, there's like, you know, it's all nouns, but, and there's some, it's just, it's just really beautiful. And, and, uh, I I think it's not the fact that it's not all that kind of writing makes it, um, just more, uh, effective when he goes to that. Well, when it's that kind of, um, the staccato, like, um, you know, the, the, dipping you into the the scenes that he's, he's painting with this. Um, I also think uh, speaking about the prose uh, I, I think he he does a great job of not um, he explains just enough for you to understand what she's talking about, but not 
um, so much that you're like fully knowledgeable about the world. Uh, like there's still so many questions you would have at about this world, how it works after reading this. Um, and I think, I think that's a, a, a part of, you know, we're inside her head, but so she's familiar with the world, but she's still been cloistered for so long. So she knows just as much as she, as we do, as she does, but not everything. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, to, cool. to, to, I was I was waiting awesome. to see if somebody else would, would switch up in, but um, e- even something like um, the AI is it sentient, and to what extent is it? Like she says mm-hmm. at one point, you know, um, she can't talk to it because it's not a consciousness. But at the end of the story, she she also says that the the AI is like grabbing hold of her and speaking through her which very much goes back to the 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 kind of um uh the the kind of I- idea that uh w- William Gibson used in Count Zero where there's this idea of of like riding the loa or like like a spirit speaking through you and like like embodying you through technology it's very reminiscent of that um although i, I would say i i think it's i think it's handled better here i can't say that it's it's handled well i'm not i'm not the right person to be saying that but it it, it did strike me as as it, it it was a bit more nuanced um but yeah there's there's a lot that you don't know it's not even really clear like what are the king's own machines? I, he, it's mm. not explained apart from like a brief physical description. You don't ever actually meet the king. You don't know if he's like a tyrant, if he's an asshole, if he's it, – it's, it's there's a lot that's left on the table because it is fundamentally from her point of view. And so you are as adrift in this world as she is, um, which, which I think is a really smart move. And it would have been really easy to have – when Ashok showed up, I was – I was a little nervous that we were going to get a bunch of bunch of as you knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You so know, it, uh, I, I did want to point out. Um, speaking of like the the repetition and so on, um, there is a, a point I was looking for it and I found it. Uh, it's when she heads back to to Nepal, uh, where she's um, she's talking about uh, leaving leaving India and like the Indian areas. And, and I think it's new Delhi where she was initially at and like the press of people and whatnot. And she's talking about like, um, what is it? Uh, I, the, 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 the people were polite in the bureau where I changed my Bharati rupees for Nepalese did not press and push and try to sell me things. I did not want in the shop, uh, where I bought a bag of greasy samosas, smiled shyly for me in the cheap hotel where I hired a room for the night, period, did not demand, demand, demand. So, I mean, that that's a perfect, mm-hmm. I think that's that's really great because it, it does sort of show you just how sort of insistent the outside world is on her interiority uh, when she's like in Bharat or whatever, you know, whatever province of the, the, the Indian substates that um, comprise the, the subcontinent in this world. Um, but it also sort of like, it feels like this breath of air where she's like, oh, this is different than that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, I, I just wanted to point that out. And um, uh, Kurt, you were mentioning like the, the, the King's Machines and so on. Um, 
there is, I mean, there is some some setup for that in the the first book, which is the the River of Gods. Uh, uh, there's like in the background a lot of stuff happening where it's like basically the uh, the the snow melts are beginning beginning to dry up and they're not yielding as much water. There's a lot of problems regarding like the the rivers uh, that are slowly sort of starting to not exactly dry up, but definitely producing less water and the hydroelectrics and stuff like that are, are taking up even more. So, uh, there is a lot of like background stuff that's left on, on the, on the table because you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's basically, um, her reminiscing or, or going over like how she got to the place she ends up in at the, at the end of the story. Um, uh, I did want to mention another thing that was really interesting this time around because I, 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 when I first read this, I wasn't writing and now I'm writing and I'm noticing like, Oh, he, every little new vignette, uh, mm-hmm. that he starts like further on in the time, uh, starts off with an action happening in the present and then slowly stitches back like goes into a a brief flashback of how this is happening and sort of stitches it together very skillfully, which is great. Uh, I I know that people are like, again, uh, I think that um, the, the operating principle is that flashbacks are passe. Uh, It's only passe if you, you use them badly, I suppose. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't really transition. It doesn't transition into a flashback. Um, it just kind of will end one paragraph with saying like, you know, since, you know, in those months since she had last seen blah, blah. And then the next paragraph, like, there's no break in the story. It doesn't stop and have, you know, five asterisks uh, across the page and then and then give you six paragraphs of flashback. It just kind of describes in real time, you know, she hadn't seen blah, blah in seven months, you know. Blah blah. As they walked her to the station, as this happened, as that, ha- like, it, and then it just kind of seamlessly comes back in. It, I, 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 you, I guess it functions as a flashback, but stylistically, it's not a flashback, and I think that that avoids the issue of what, um, the issue that that, that people have, which is that flashbacks tend to kind of like stop the story and go, wait, wait a minute, but wait a minute, let me jump back and tell you the, this other thing, and this does it in a way that makes it feel continuous within the story. Well, I also, very skillful. yeah, I, I also think that it conveys, um, like the, the little goddesses sort of the way she thinks about things, which is somewhat fragmented, but also continuous, you know, it's it, obviously it makes sense in her own mind, but not, uh, you know, it, it, it I'm, I'm, I'm explaining this badly, but, um, <laughs> no, 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 it, 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 I, I know exactly well, what you mean. She's, she is adrift. And you, the reader, are a little bit adrift on on kind of the timeline of the story, and it feels as if these things happened. What you know, it was six months ago. Now it's now. Yeah. Well, and I think that that that's an interesting uh, trick to pull because if you if if you are able to pull it off as skillfully as uh, McDonald's done it here, um, it, it offers like this little sort of breadcrumb trail where you feel like those little, like you, you sort of perhaps haven't really formulated an opinion or, or exactly how this new scene is starting, but you, you might be able to sort of intuit it. And then a, a paragraph later you're rewarded by, Oh, here you go. This is how it happened. Mm-hmm. 
And and honestly, that's uh, it, it's supposed to be a hook, but you know, it, it's it, this is the most skillful hooks I can find. You know, yeah. I but, go, go ahead, ahead Chris. Okay, um, I'm I'm afraid of derailing. So if I start talking about this, and you guys are like, "Whoa, Nelly, we're too off the path here." That's cool. Um, I'm beginning to get the impression that I read books differently than you guys, mm. because when I read this story. Probably my most analytical thought at the time was, damn, this is fucking tight. Like, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. And then I get to the end of the story and I'm thinking, okay, what did I like about that? Like, I don't pull out my toolbox until well after I read and digest. It seems like you guys are showing up and turning the pages with toolbox in hand. Is that the case? It's almost as if we had to do a podcast about it later. <laughs> no, I, I don't always read like that i like to um but certainly sometimes i just kind of immerse myself in it and and my overall takeaway was also that this is pretty fucking tight because it's a pretty fucking tight story um but i was definitely like when i felt that the, when i felt the sensation that something was new or different or um unique in some way i definitely stopped and was like wait let me think about this and not just be like wow gosh gee whiz um <laughs> i don't i'm not gonna claim that i i always do that and i think that there is something to be said of just kind of taking it in um but it's certainly as i try to write myself and as i you know think more about what makes fiction work i i, I do think i've gotten in my own way as a reader to my benefit and sometimes to my detriment in in terms of having having my toolbox out yeah certainly yeah i i'll 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 own that the fact that i now write is something that factors very much in how i read now uh and and it's really like there are a lot of stories that something's not hitting for me mm. and I, I can't like, it'll, I'll bounce, I'll bounce yeah. off of it. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, it's like having a toothache where like you just, you just have to like keep poking it being like, is that what hurts? Is that, is that what hurts? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Like uh, I, I sometimes when the, something is not quite right, I cannot immerse into the story because I'm busy trying to figure out, well, hold on. Why, why am I not enjoying this or what is bugging me about this? Uh, and, and what can I say about that on discord? <laughs> <laughs> also that, <laughs> also that, uh, but you know, the, the, it, it's, it sucks sometimes because I used to be able to read, you know, just like more or less, you know, like a book, uh, in a couple of days or something like that. And nowadays it's like, nah, like I, I've had books that like, honestly, I, I am now seeking out books that are older in part because um, it, it's interesting to see the styles and how they've changed, but also because they're blessedly short. <laughs> like, you know, there are very few like 300 or 400 plus pages uh, books that were made, you know, back in you know the seventies or even the, the, the eighties. Uh, everything had to be pretty brief and had to work in some way, shape or form. Somebody told me that part of that was um, that it, they it, w it was hard to to make uh, paperback books that were yeah, more the, than about three hundred pages. Yeah, the, before the glue, like the and, early seventies, and that might have been right on this very podcast in the early days. 
Oh. Hmm. On a perhaps a beer run of some sort, maybe. Because yeah. I, I definitely remember Pete explaining this to Connor. Can Can I jump on about the changing styles and just say, uh, look, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Uh, a lot of the popular stories right now, I don't care for the style in which they are written. Um, and and I will say that as a totally neutral. Uh, statement. So you can interpret that as being on me. You you can interpret that as uh, as being me saying that it's good or bad. Um, I I can't help it. I I just I just struggle with kind of the style of a lot of short stories right now. Boot um, him, Carlo. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, a a, 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 a a a suppressive person. I'm a suppressive person now. Um, and and reading this was very much like reading a slightly a slightly older style of science fiction writing that is still around, but I do not think is uh, especially in vogue right now. And people are still writing it. Um, and I alluded this to, to this uh, to, to this book before, but it makes me want to seek out you know more stuff like this right now. Um, and just on a personal level, th- frankly, this is, this is what I prefer. Um, yeah. st- stylistically is a little bit more frenetic, a little bit more stylized, a little bit more vague. I want to mention that the story ends on a positive, but also extremely ambiguous note. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that a lot. And I think a lot of, a lot of the short stories that get a lot of acclaim right now don't don't always do that. They they don't always. It, it feels to me almost like there's a discomfort in um, waiting to get to the core concept. Um, my number one pet peeve is is when the concept of of a story is explained by the title. Absolute number one um, pet peeve. I, I cannot stand it. Whereas I like this where you, as you start, as you start to read it, you're like, okay, I understand why this is called the little goddess. And then as you read it more, you're like, I don't understand why it's called this anymore. Oh, now I understand why. Like That's what I prefer is a little bit of ambiguity and an ambiguous and an unclear an unclear takeaway. It's not, comp- there's a few things that you can take away from this story. But it is not a statement. It, it, at least, it did not feel to me about as as if it was a statement about one particular thing. It felt to me about a lot of half, like like a lot of half statements about a lot of different things. Um, so that's that's my little rant, which is um, I like this. I want more of this, and I'm not putting that on the world. I'm saying it's on me to seek that out or to write it. Uh, you know, to, to the extent that I am able. Um, but but it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I I wanted to point out because I I was struggling with this earlier and um and we had we had I think we had discussed some of this previously, but uh, what happened to cyberpunk that's like this? Like we look at like someone like William Gibson who suddenly is just writing, uh, actually Hillary Clinton fan fiction. Yes, the like, man's uh, ancient. Come on, I mean, I mean, I'll I'll, I mean, give, no, I'll no. give Gibson a break. I'll give Gibson I'm, a break. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> no, no. But that's the thing. I, I, I'm not trying to drag him down. I'm just saying that it's weird because he starts off with Neuromancer, like the entire um, the the, <clears throat> the sprawl trilogy, and then the floating bridge and all that stuff. Um, and that's all fantastic, uh, like cyberpunk stuff. And then. I liked pattern recognition because it was a change, but now everything is sort of like this near future, just like five minutes in the future. Everyone doesn't want to like to a certain extent. I think that the, uh, this concept that science fiction has 
of, oh, we predict the future, uh, which is silly because it's, it's, it's not, you're, you're, you're sort of basing yourself on whatever's happening now. If this goes on, that's the future that you're trying to predict. Uh, but to a certain extent that also limits, because if you're worried about, oh, well, what if this doesn't predict the future and people don't like it because it's wrong? Well, who cares? Like this never happened. Like <laughs> cyber Abad days never happened. Like the cyberpunk uh, India of 2047 that Ian McDonald imagines intertwined with, you know, like uh, deep history, the deep history of the subcontinent, but with technology of the far future never happened. It still is a banger of a story and the entire concept is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I feel like to a certain extent, the, the idea of the plain idea of, oh, I need to be predictive, um, may have limited, hobbled, blinded. I'm not even sure what phrase, all of them may sound vaguely ableist, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 like what I'm reading and, and it's, it's sort of disappointing because I want to see, you know, sort of more take risks, go for it. You know, don't, well, don't go ahead. I'm not being fair to Ian McDonald because he's, he's a wildly creative writer and he's done all sorts of things, but, um, <clears throat> there's a recipe you know what I mean? It's it's not like you don't know what you, uh, dish you're going to get. He's a sushi dish the chef, and it's going to be the, the same baseline every time, which is radical cultural ongoing change and people who are not in the control of the situation adapting and having a limited worldview. Hmm. And I... I mean, I defend that because I think he does a fantastic job, but I also, I also want to be cautious. Like if he's, if he's writing a story right now, I've got a pretty good idea of what some of the details are going to be like. Be and you know what though? That's a personal thing. Like, like we all have our ranges to be, to be perfectly honest. I have sure. a range and it's not even an especially wide range. Um, and, uh, and, and so I think that where, where you need to lay the question is not is not on an individual author, but on a movement or on or on a moment in time. That's um, fair. And and so and so like you know what like William Gibson writes William Gibson type stuff, and Ian McDonald writes Ian McDonald type stuff, and Bruce Sterling sure as hell writes Bruce Sterling type stuff, and I love it. <laughs> um, but it is certainly, as you say, there there is certainly like a, like a type. Um, what I suspect part of it is is a a. I feel like in the late nineties, early two thousands, um, there was a growing awareness of, uh, cliches that had just kind of become cliches unto themselves. And certainly cyberpunk kind of ended in, um, you know, cliche. And this is frankly fits quite well into the, you know, the, the cliche of, of cyberpunk. And I think part of the reason that it, it, it hits so well is because it's been a bit since that stuff has been popular now. And if, you know, uh, if, if I read this, the moment that it came out, I don't know that it would have struck me quite the same. I, I, I actually, you know what? I take that back. It, it probably would have. Cause I first read altered carbon right around the same time. And that's, that's, you know, fairly, fairly cyberpunky cyberpunk, but the the kind of added noir aspect I really enjoyed at the time, and I, I bet I would have liked this too. Um, I do think that there is a fear of I I don't know 
if I completely buy the idea that people feel uh, uh, burdened with the need to predict the near future so much as I think people are afraid of of falling into one or more cliches. Um, and my tendency is always to say, well, that's because in capitalism, we can no longer imagine the future. And I, 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 I was think thinking that's about wrong. Mark Fisher, but yeah. <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, I think it's in the category of what I'll call right, but unhelpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that part of the problem is, is that right now we are grasping for futures and this is definitely a slightly older future that, you know, maybe it's time has come. But again, if this is an older future and, and, and if it is cliche, it's certainly an extremely well executed version of it. So I would be right. happy to read more of this particular cliche. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that that's a, a very generous um, take on it as well. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that. Uh, you're just saying I'm not right. Abs- no, 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 no. I think, I think, I think you're, you're also right as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's sort well, of weird because also I, I, w- I do want to point out that, um, uh, Ian McDonald managed to get river of gods published, uh, without too much backlash, uh, in part because of the time. And then by the time, uh, Bashigalupi gets the wind up girl out it wins all these awards, but then gets a huge backlash because of you know exactly the the same problems that this this has right the orientalization and the exotic exoticization is that a word? Uh, it is now, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, and then so I, it it sort of feels like uh, also there was a moment in time where um, sort of uh, international submissions. Uh, to science fiction magazines were limited to, you know, the the few magazines that were uh, sort of on on in the West, you know, uh, the U.S. and and Britain and whatnot, and a lot of them didn't accept any um, email submissions. So mm-hmm. that's opened up, and that's a big, you know, that that is a net positive, I would say, because then there's more more people writing about their own you know, cultures, futures, or what they imagine is the future and so on and so forth. Uh, that being said, you know, th- this sort of went under the wire, won, won the Hugo. Um, uh, Wind Up Girl actually wins, I believe, pr- uh, a bunch of awards. I think it it got the Nebula, the Hugo, and the Locus Award for that year. I believe among- it tied the Hugo with the city in the city, if I'm not mistaken. I think you might be right. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't have it pulled up, but I'm willing to, to agree with it. That might be correct. Um, but, but the, the, the point being that there is, there is sort of like a a line that was that, that in time that crossed. And I feel like, uh, in part, that's the, that's it, you know, like, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, notorious blogger uh you only require hate or whatever requires hate uh also known as benjamin sridin cow i'm not entirely sure how you pronounce her name um so apologies for that but uh really had a backlash for bashi galupi and this one got sideswiped uh river of gods that got sideswiped in that uh, particular conversation but since it was already out it had been out for a while it didn't really, I, I didn't see many ripples, you know, 
Uh, so, you know, that's the this way it was is. A, was this a, is this technically a novella or short fiction? What is it? Or, I or have a novelette? It, what does it categorize as? I believe it's a novella. So it's it's just over the 17,000 uh, uh, word mark or whatever. It doesn't feel like a long novella. Uh, so I'm going to say it's probably on the shorter side. But it is listed as a novella. Okay, I've killed the <laughs> I was debating whether to say, you know what, I'll, I'll just come right out and say it. I take back your apology uh, for for mispronunciation of uh, uh, Winterfox, I believe, was, was also the name that, yeah, they, yeah, also she, that. they went by. Um, because they deserve no apology. Um, garbage person. Uh, oh no no! Uh, I mean, people. I'm, I'm just gonna say, yeah, if, I'm if just apologizing for the name. Pronounced <laughs> is the least thing that happens to them. Then that's you know that's that's uh, a small penance for for yeah, kind of the true. harm that they have done to uh, to other people. So I'll, yeah, I'll just go on amazing. record as saying that. <laughs> it's truly amazing, uh, and, and she's still being published uh, these days. But you know, it is what it is. Um, but you know the 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 other aspect of that is that you know that happened. Uh, to perhaps open up certain things. I don't think that that's, you know, that like basically sending death threats and, and threatening to, to throw acid in the face of an author is exactly the, the correct useful way to do this. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I, I mentioned them before. Uh, and, uh, but uh, I was thinking about whether or not Mark Fisher had commented on, uh, you know, whether he would like Ian McDonald, because I, I think this story does a good job of, you know, and, and you know, cyberpunk as a whole. But this story in particular does a good job of, uh, uh, you know, balancing the the old uh, past that's still around being evidenced by like the ritual of the goddess and everything like that with like obviously the, the new technology and the new, you know, for uh, future fut- lost future going forward of like the the cybernetics and everything like that so and not only that but getting into uh kurt's uh thesis which i don't know if he's made public yet but uh the the meta ontological aspect of it being um that we had just been discussing about it how this is a piece that's very much a piece of its time in that like um we're ha- you know it's it's a cyberpunk cyberpunk story uh with a specific style that's not really around anymore uh writ a white guy white uh british guy writing a essentially oriented uh you know an or uh, oriental type quote unquote story um which probably would not necessarily be fetid uh these days so i i think there's there's many layers to to this to this story of um its ontological properties I did. I did make that. So yeah, that the the article that Chris is referring to is uh, the architecture of woe, which is out in the most recent um, issue of of Blood Knife, and it primarily concerns gothic horror and cosmic horror, um, and the the use of literal architecture in those. But there there is an aside where it occurred to me while I was while I was you know doing additional reading for the piece, um, which which deals a great deal with with uh, Lovecraft as most cosmic horror things do. That yeah, there's an element of hauntology in reading the stories where you read it and you're like, huh, you wouldn't you wouldn't publish this now. Um, this you know this would be different now for good or for ill. 
Um, usually it's for good that things wouldn't be certainly with, with certainly with Lovecraft, um, (laughs) you know, significantly for the better that, that we don't publish things like, like that. Um, but there is an element of reading these things that, that takes you out of the moment you're reading them that becomes like a metafiction to it. And yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And that's, that's a spot on analysis. It's a spot on observation of, of this piece is, yeah, it's like, it, it's like, it's you, you jump back to a moment, not just in imagined time within the fiction of the piece, but within the metafiction of the landscape of science fiction of being like, damn, this is, this is, this is, this is of another time. And you're touching that time. Even as you are touching the fiction of, of, of the piece. And it is, it, it, it hits different now. <laughs> yeah. Does. Yep. Yep. I agree. So yeah, the, the, uh, and folks, if you haven't read it yet, it's it's on Blood Knife. Go check it out. It's the architecture of uh, Kurt calls it the architecture of woe, but really, when you read it, you're going to be the, like the architecture of woe. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be like a like a blossom thing. The architecture of woe. <laughs> <laughs> woe. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, I think honestly. Uh, I, I don't have much else to say other than, you know, folks, go read this story. It's it, it's really great. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I, I As we've rambled on for, you know, for the time that we've been on here, I think everyone else has also enjoyed it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um so, it'll take uh, you. It, it'll it'll take you about as much time to read the story as to listen to us talk about it. So if somehow you're listening <laughs> to this podcast backwards, you should stop uh, and and go read the story first, um, and then listen to it because it's great and it's frankly better than us talking about it. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. mean you can you can and do thank some you for listening, Benjamin. At the same Button. time, like multitask, guys. Come on. <laughs> just yeah yeah just read it while we're talking about it come on yeah. <laughs> um, uh, just one quick thing i loved that the cops on the on the uh prowl for the ais are called the krishna cops yes i, I was like oh i wonder if they're re- related to the karma police yes yes i thought that too and i also thought of course about the touring police um from uh from a normal but it yeah. did occur to me about about the karma police as well <laughs> I, I suspect yeah. that must that must have been that must be intentional if this were a Zelazny story and and he knew what 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 radiohead was that would definitely be intentional i'm not sure it's true it's true <laughs> okay computer no yeah. sir <laughs> we're like we're like not so great computer <laughs> anyway okay computer you're under arrest okay so um so uh kurt chris where um what do you guys what irons may you have in the fire at this point uh, we, Kurt and I co-host a podcast called Parents Just Don't Understand. We talk about kids' media with a uh, critical eye, um, and um, it's just a lot of fun. And we've had Pete and Carlo on, and it's it's been great. Separately, not not together, I don't believe. Yeah, no, 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 correct. Not together. Soon, hopefully. Soon, though. Eventually, yes. if we do enough of these podcasts, we'll eventually be able to say, we just had them on. Yes, um, you haven't you haven't unlocked the Mecca Shiva. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'll, 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 I'll mention, I also edit the magazine Blood Knife, which is at bloodknife.com, and, and you can support the magazine at patreon.com slash bloodknife. And if you're not tired of hearing me 
uh, talk about it yet. It is a magazine about science fiction, fantasy, horror, and capitalism. And we publish both nonfiction and fiction. We just started publishing fiction. Um, our, our first, our first original fiction piece um, by uh, the extremely talented June Martin. Um, I sexually identify as the I sexually identify as a helicopter as an attack helicopter controversy uh, came out uh, last month. Um, and that was very well, well received, which made me greatly happy because it was a terrific piece. And I was uh, greatly privileged to, to be able to, to publish that in Blood Knife. And we are now publishing fiction every other month, hopefully soon every month. And I got to tell you, I read this piece and I was like, I got to go and read the submissions pile. Um, mm. and hunt for stuff that will make me feel the same way that that this did and you know what i almost immediately found a piece that i really liked and i i don't know if that's if that's because i was coming off of a really good story or mm. if it was just uh serendipity but um it certainly energized me to, to to read more stuff which which uh is always good when i have a big pile of stuff to to to, to read through and you know what most of the submissions are are quite good so that 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 makes me feel good hell yeah all right. Um, and I suppose that's it for us. Uh, Pete, do you have anything, any last thoughts? Uh, I, I, I don't know if I had many initial thoughts, to be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> Pete is a podcast host of Little Words. You don't have uh, five five different pod, podcast hosting AIs inside your head? Sadly, well, that, yeah. That we, we haven't figured out the, th <laughs> the, the 32... Um, uh, uh, references of perfections. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, if that's all there is to it, uh, Pete, you want to send us on our way? Um, yeah. So, guys, uh, go read the story. Thanks for coming. Uh, uh, friends, Chris and Kurt, it was amazing to have you as first-timers. We hope to have <laughs> you back. <laughs> and uh, catch you all later, folks. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.